HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. If your restaurant wants to put the best on the table, look for food with the New York State Certified Seal. It's food that is grown right, right here. Learn more at certified.ny.gov. I'm Greg Bresnitz. And I'm Darren Bresnitz. We're the host of Snacky Tunes. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning, Heritage Radio listeners. It is Tuesday at 11 a.m., and welcome to the line. We are one week away from Election Day, so if you haven't filled out your absentee ballot yet, please do that and get it in. And also, please make plans next Tuesday to vote. It is sort of important if you've been paying attention to what has been going on lately in the United States. Uh, Now on to the fun stuff. My guest today is Jay Chan. He is the chef and co-owner of Fancy Nancy, which is named after his mother. Uh, It is a restaurant located in Bed-Stuy that, full disclosure, I've been to multiple times. (laughs) I am a huge fan. I think it is a perfect neighborhood spot. Uh, You could eat there multiple times a week, and if you haven't been yet, you should go and check it out. Um, Thanks, man. I feel like we hit it off the instant uh, we met. Uh, we seem to be similarly aligned kind of in terms of uh, how we approach hospitality and food and, and just having a good time while we cook. Um, I want to definitely talk about Fancy Nancy, the spot in bed But first, I want to start with your mom. The restaurant is yeah. named after her. Yeah. And... Your family is a restaurant industry family. Yes, very much so. Cool. So I know you were uh, you're from Massachusetts. Tell me a little bit about uh, your early childhood growing up in a family that owns restaurants. Oh man, uh, it was fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, the first restaurant opened when I was in the first grade, so pretty early, um, and. I guess, let's see, what was it like? Uh, parents were at work a lot, um, so I understood, like, from very early on that it was just, like, you work and you come home and sleep. Um, but, what type of restaurants were they? So <laughs> I get asked this a lot, and it's there's nothing really in New York that you can compare it to. It's very, like, I mean, maybe in, like, a suburb or something, but it's, like, a very Boston experience. It's just, like, a, you know, family-run Chinese restaurant, there's like, you know, I was there like doing my homework at a table, you know, Mm -hmm. um, there's like prep work on a dining room table. They're like, you know, 
Um, but it's big. It was. It's probably like eighty seats, uh, eighty to like yeah ninety seats. Uh, and it's like Pan Asian cuisine. There's like so there's there's two of them. The one in Boston has like a sushi bar. There's like pad thai. There's General So's chicken. There's like all the. All the all the Chinese food that American people love to eat. Yeah, know? isn't it kind of weird that somehow Chinese restaurants have become this sort of catch-all for the twenty-five American totally. dishes that uh, I don't mean American dishes that d- dishes that well, Americans look to, for to yeah, eat. Yeah, totally. So it's like, uh, don't you think it's bizarre that um, Pad Siu and yeah. General Tso's and also sushi? Everyone's like, oh yeah, yeah that's uh, yep. that's just Asian food, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, that's such a I don't know that that's everywhere, right? You go to yeah, like yeah, a, totally. you go to a Chinese buffet and it's like they have sushi yeah, and that sure. doesn't make sense. I at mean all. across the street from Fancy Nancy is number one Chinese and Japanese. <laughs> but it's really like the same bulletproof glass Chinese, you know. Right, yeah. With like fried shrimp and tartar sauce, obviously. So growing up in the restaurant, you're sitting at a table, you're doing your homework. How early on did you get uh were you busting tables? Were you prepping? Like, uh, when they, did you get they, thrown into the mix? They put me to work pretty early. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, doing side work, like, you know, cleaning green beans, like, uh, packing to-go orders. I did that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, to-go business is huge, obviously, in Chinese food. Um, so I was in the kitchen a lot. Um, but not to... Uh, so the tickets... Everyone in the kitchen is Chinese. They don't really speak English. The tickets print in, like, Chinese... I don't read Chinese, but... Okay. <laughs> um, Do you speak any other languages? Yeah, I speak Cantonese. Okay. Um, it's really rusty now, but... Um, yeah, I, I, I helped out pretty pretty early on. And so when did your parents start it? And also, are your aunts and uncles... and Your grandfather started it? Or your aunts and uncles are involved in the restaurant so, to a certain degree? Uh, so, yeah, that first restaurant was opened by um, three partners, and that's uh, one of them is my father. Uh, and then my uncle, who's my mom's brother, and uh, a good friend of theirs. So it was those three guys um, started it. My uncle uh, was a chef, like the, the executive chef of like this kind of local chain in Boston um, called Weilu's. And uh, people just got to know him there. So the restaurant's actually named after him. It's called Billy C. Um, and yeah, and then... Uh, you know, aunts and uncles worked there, and then they decided to open another one, like, a few years later. My mom left her, like, bank job uh, and started working there. Yeah. And so how does that come about? Are they, were they sort of recent immigrants to the United States? Were they born in the United States, your no, mother so, and father? Uh, no, so my mom was born in uh, Canton, China, uh, and my dad was born in uh, Saigon in Vietnam. Uh, and then... Uh, they moved to Hong Kong. They spent most of their time in Hong Kong before coming to America. So it's kind of a crazy story, but um, <laughs> just how they tell it. So here, my, we, here we are on we, the radio, yeah, we, ready to. Here. I'm ready to hear it. Uh, so actually, my uh, so my father is my mom's second marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom came to America through basically an arranged marriage with some guy who happened to live in America. So if it weren't for that, I'd be, like, some random kid in China, like, just <laughs> whatever, doing my homework at another restaurant, I guess. <laughs> um, but uh, so they got here, and then whatever, she met my dad. Um, 
Separated from the arranged marriage? Yeah, yeah. Divorced from the Mm -hmm. arranged marriage, which was like a huge deal in that culture. That was like fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah, married my dad. This is probably in the 60s or 70s? uh, In the 70s, Okay. And um, let's see. And they're in Boston at this point, right? She was yeah, living she, in she Boston. Moved to Boston. She wow. was the only one from her family in America. Uh, and then she, yeah, finally like moved her family. Like her her mom and her dad and siblings came. So your mom seems like a real badass because she's a real badass. That is an intense thing to go through. Yeah, both culturally, culturally, economically, also just American socially, even at that time, getting divorced was probably yeah. not the most common thing. And then you're talking about someone who recently moved here. So that's a big, a big, big decision. To yeah. Make. yeah. Um, so she meets your father. They settle down in Boston. How long after that does the first restaurant come about? Was oh she- man, years, years later. I mean, um, so my, my dad, my, my mom, and my dad actually met before my dad was, was friends with my mom's brother mm-hmm. uh, when they were in Hong Kong. And um, so when my uncle was working at this restaurant, Weilu's, my dad got a job there too as like a manager. Um, so they were all, you know, already in the restaurant business. Um, my mom worked like a night shift in like this, I don't even know what she did, in like an office of a bank, uh-huh. like whatever counting money or something <laughs> counting money yeah. who knows um, what they do down yes. there. um how maybe you you can't answer this question but i'm curious how important to the fabric of the community is um a family-owned chinese restaurant it seems like you just said that everyone employed there you know they didn't speak english um does it become sort of a um a spot for people who have recently immigrated to the United States to say like, all right, I'm probably going to be able to get a job working in a restaurant because it's, it's family owned and they're most likely going to hire either friends or family that are coming over to the United States. Does it work Uh, like that to a certain um, extent? Some do. We didn't really, I mean, most, um, most of our family, my mom kind of has a big family. She, you know, she's one of five kids. Um, they were all here. Uh, they all worked at the restaurant at some point, but um, most of the staff, like as far as kitchen staff, it's really, I mean, they're, that's like an issue too, as it is in New York, just like finding staff and they have to compete with like a lot of Chinatown restaurants and like, they're a little different because they're not in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really uh like not a lot of Asian people go to their restaurants, you know, but, um, Oh, so it caters mostly to like a white suburban clientele. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So what is it like you are, you're a young guy, your family has one, maybe two restaurants, depending on the timeline. You are in high school at this point and to their both are open when you're in high school. And so you had told me that, you know, high school wasn't really your thing. It wasn't really working for you in terms of like being something that interested you and challenged you. And you said that there was, uh, when we talked earlier, you said that there was a, a program run through your high school that piqued your interest in cooking a yeah. little bit. Yeah, yeah. Is that like, was, home, a... was that home ec, basically? What, what does that really uh, consist basically, of? It was, it was a culinary program, uh, and it was basically like the teachers would, would eat there. You know, they would like 
order from a menu and pay. So it was like on the top floor of the school. So was it like a um, fully functional restaurant? That yeah, you... basically we, you know, we did like the coffee and coffee cake and muffins and just whatever in the morning. Uh, you know, the lunch periods we would kind of, you know, like cold cut sandwiches and maybe a burger special or something. Did you get paid um, or did you get credit? No, it was just, yeah, it was like credits. Okay. That... So it was sort of like a hybrid between like working in the cafeteria and also yeah. you were, so, but there was probably a chef, right? That was helping you yep. mix. Yeah. This, yeah. There, the were, items. there were like a few chef, uh, like instructors, um, that were there. And, uh, you know, we had some, uh, there was like a classroom element of it. You know, we had some like written tests and stuff. But uh, for the most part, it was really, uh, I just like did a lot of dishes. Because <laughs> I showed up to, to class So you went to high school and did dishes, and then afterwards you went to your parents' restaurant, and they were like, hey, man, yeah. get back in there, yeah. do some dishes. It's your yeah. shift to answer so, the phones. I got good at that. Um, so you're, <laughs> the entire aspect of your working, living, breathing <laughs> day is sort of restaurants and yeah, cooking. I like it in the kitchen. Um so you are in this you're in this kind of home ec program you're working at the restaurant as well at this point in your life are you thinking to yourself i'm definitely doing this as a career or does I it just seem like this is I, my family owns a restaurant and i have to work there uh that i mean that was part of it i, I never felt like i had to work there i think it, if if it was up to them i would have maybe been a little smarter and done something else with my time but um and I really, uh, I mean, I really hated school growing up. I think a lot of kids can say the same, but um, I, was, I was very passionate about not liking school. Um, and I don't know if it was so much that I was like, oh, this is something I can do. I think it was just like I was doing it, and I just kept on doing it. And here I am. <laughs> <laughs> so it does, though, you did make a actual hard decision to attend Johnson and Wales though. So you do actually at a certain point say, (laughs) all right, this may be a possible career opportunity for me. What's it like going to culinary school? I imagine your family was behind it to a certain extent. Like they were, they were, Uh, they were okay. And with your decision, probably supportive to a certain extent. They were okay that I was going to a school. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they, were, they were like, at least he's going. At least he's not wasting to, his yeah. time doing nothing. Okay. Um, they, they were they were a big part of it. I think if it was an, uh, you know, if I didn't have like Chinese immigrant parents, I probably would have just started working and, and gained some, you know, uh, experience in in like commercial kitchens. But um, school was good. I mean, I didn't love it, but uh, it was a good, you know, it was a great place to learn from mistakes, other people, mis- you know, other people's mistakes. Um, but. Uh, for the most part, you know, I, I worked uh, during school too, and I, I, when I think back about like experiences, I, I probably think about like the jobs more than more than what I learned in the classroom. So after school, you end up going back to Boston. You go to Mistral. Uh, yeah. So actually, Mistral, I worked at during high school. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, how old, so was, how old were you when you had your first cooking job? Uh, Sixteen. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that was in high school, and I worked uh, basically the pastry station. Mistral was like, uh, you know, like a fine dining restaurant in Boston. Um, at the time, it was like, it was like pretty nice. It was like pretty fancy. Um, and at that point, my family had 
it's funny, kind of like following the evolution of my family's going out to eat. You know, it was like we would go to like whatever, like the local pizza place, you know, that was like going out. And then like uh, the restaurant started to do a little better. We'd go to like nicer places. Um, and so my parents really liked this place. Uh, we went there. They had like this uh, seared Hudson Valley foie gras uh, with a brioche like muffin that was hollowed out that was stuffed with like duck confit and uh like these dried Wisconsin cherries. Uh, and then, you know, it was like a little piece of like foie gras seared on top. And then, you know, like a whatever, like a demi, you know. Uh, and I like ordered that every fucking time I went to this restaurant. <laughs> and the chef was like, who the fuck is this like little Chinese kid ordering, you know, foie gras every time he comes in. But um, I loved it. And uh, yeah, one day I was just like, I think I think I want to like work here. I want to like see how this this did stuff. Did you is even done. know what foie gras was, or did you just point to the most expensive thing? Yeah. On the menu? <laughs> no, no. When I used to go out with my parents, I used to do. My mom used to say, "Oh, you've got such great taste. You look for the highest number on the menu." Yeah. And then I'm like, "Well, if it's the most expensive, it's got to be the best." Yeah. So I'm ordering like a T-bone steak yeah. when I'm <laughs> yeah, nine totally. years old. So, uh, so you order the foie gras. The chef is so intrigued, and then what happens? Yeah. So he would like come out to the table and say, "What's up?" You know. And one time I was like, "Hey, I I think." You know, if you'd, if you'd have me, I'd love to, like, just work here. You know, I'd spend the summer or whatever. Um, and he was like, why don't you come back? We'll talk about it. <laughs> you know, like, uh, we'll so see I... see how serious you yeah, are. So yeah, I, so I went back, and um, and it was basically an interview. I didn't even realize it at the time. Uh, but he was basically like, all right, come upstairs. We, like, walked through the kitchen. At this time, my experience in restaurants was really only my family's. Um, which was, you know, just like a Chinese restaurant it was run very like, I don't want to say sketchy. I mean, it's like a, you know, but it was just like very chill. Um, and then perhaps not the same organization level <laughs> yeah. of a fine dining yeah, restaurant yeah. And, in um, downtown Boston. But, uh, besides my family's restaurant, I would, I would watch this show called, um, great chefs. It was on TV and that was like my perception of fine dining, which was just like, incredible mise-en-place and like a quiet calm kitchen and like the chef is just like making this beautiful dish one at a time uh and everyone's then, stark white no yeah, one yeah has, it's just like no one has a, a drop of sauce on yeah, them yeah. where where does all the cooking occur there's, there's no, there's no screaming there's no nothing uh and so you know he like walks me through the kitchen of mistral and it's just like you know a kitchen in the city there's people like there's pots banging there's people like hustling and I was just like, holy shit, this is, like, fucking crazy. <laughs> and he takes me upstairs to his office. He, like, you know, busts out cigarettes and starts smoking. And he's like, you know, I'm going to you know, I'm gonna work you like a dog and I'm going to pay you pennies. Like, do you want to do this? I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Whatever. What else am I going to do for my, <laughs> you know, with my summer? So I, so I did that. Um, and it was great. It, like, you know, turned my world upside down. And I was, I, I loved it. It was it's, great. It's cool that someone who just hated school you know basically what he did was he conned you into basically going to school for free and you said yeah all right i'll sign up for this no problem yeah Yeah. i'll I'll work basically for free and you can uh, abuse me as much as you. yeah as long as i can like stand around foie gras all day i'm cool so you start to gain this uh new perspective on restaurants does it at any point right away kind of um 
inform you about your parents' restaurant? Like, did you go back and were you sort of like a know-it-all? Like, yeah, I'm working at Mistral now, so let, <laughs> let me tell you guys about uh, labeling and how to organize uh, the, the walk-in and everything. Uh, like, did you get like a little bit of a big head now that you were at a sort of a, a fancy no, restaurant? No, no, I was definitely, I was very like, um, I mean, I was a kid, you know, and there were like these, you know, heroes like cooking all this stuff and I was just very like a little, I was very shy you know, just very like, oh, yes. And uh, I remember breaking, the chef, like, walked over. He was never really in the kitchen, but he walked over while we were, like, prepping for a party. And I I reached up to get something, and a plate comes, like, crashing down, you know, on the prep table. It was, like, mise en place there, and he just, like, got right in my face, you know, and he was just like, are you, you know. Uh, and I was just like, oh, what did he say? He was just like, are you you know, are you, like, breaking my shit or whatever? And I was like, no. <laughs> and he was like, no? Like, no chef. And, like, from then on, I was like, oh, everything is, like, yes, chef, no chef. And I, I that's that really stuck with me. And then, yeah. um, but I, 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 you know, I didn't, I didn't uh, go back to my family all, you know, maybe, after, you know, while I was in culinary school, that, that happened. It, it's, it's the same as, like, when you learn to drive, you know? And then you get in the car with, like, your mom or your dad, and you're like, your signal's not, not on. And they're like, shut the hell. Yeah, <laughs> like, you'd be, it's, yeah it's like when you, you know, after your first year in college, you're yeah. the smartest person in the history yeah. of the world. Yeah. You're like, let me tell you about World War II. I know everything now. So you are at Mistral. You are learning all this great kind of technique. Was there a specific moment when you got to like uh, jump on the line or cook something where you really was there a turning point at Mistral where you felt like you went from kind of like just doing prepping and being sort of a errand boy around the kitchen <laughs> to like making real um, strides and contributions it 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 took me a long time to get over that hurdle um and like when I work with younger cooks now I tell them that I'm like listen like one day it's just going to click and you're going to be like this is this is how things work and I don't have to be like a scared little puppy at work, you know, but I was definitely like a, you know, it was very intimidating. You were that. For, so for, now, for, you know, for a long time, now, yeah. you know how to kind of yeah. move people past that point. Yeah. Uh, we're here with Jay Chan. He is the chef and owner of fancy Nancy. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about moving to Montreal. Stick with <laughs> us. And this one is called King of Kings by Knife Show. We'll be right back. chefs and restaurants are proud of the food they put on the table. And serving produce that comes from local, environmentally responsible farms is a way to leave an even better taste in everyone's mouth. So when shopping for your ingredients, look for the New York State Grown and Certified Seal. It lets you know which food is grown right, right here in New York State, certifying the food that comes from local farms that meet a higher standard. You'll not only be serving local food, you'll be supporting local farmers. Learn more about the New York State Grown and Certified Program at certified.ny.gov. 
Welcome back to The Line. We're here today with Jay Chan. He is the chef and owner of Fancy Nancy. Uh, He grew up in uh, Newton, Massachusetts, where his family owns uh, two Pan-Asian Chinese-style restaurants. Uh, He started cooking at a very young age. He worked at his high school sort of restaurant slash home ec uh, type of uh, situation. And then after that, he at 16 years old, worked at Mistral in Boston. Uh, He then went on to culinary school at Johnson & Wales. And then at a certain point, you moved to Montreal. I want to know what drew you to Canada. um, And where did you work in Montreal? Uh, So I did at Johnson & Wales. It's a a trimester. uh, And uh, for one of your trimesters, your second year, you got to go on like an internship uh, somewhere, and I had really no idea where to go, but um, my my aunt and uncle were, uh, you know, they would go to Montreal often. They lived in Boston, but they would go to Montreal often. They, I think they have, like, some business there with a hotel, but... Um, I like that you have no idea yeah, what that is. it's okay. okay. It's, all, it's all good. They, uh, and they were like, oh, the restaurants are great here. We keep going to this one. It's like beautiful and uh you know you should you should come check it out so i went with them for a trip and uh we went to this restaurant called uh brunoise which is no longer there uh but it was cool it was um the chef's name is michel ross and uh he had trained with uh gordon ramsay in london and then worked at you know various restaurants in montreal opened uh brunoise and it was like a you know, kind of like a farm to table. It was fine dining, but very affordable kind of neighborhood restaurant, um, like a prefix menu. And it was awesome. And I was like, sure, why not? I'll, I'll go there. So I did my internship there. Um, that was for like three, four months. And, um, I had a lot of fun in Montreal. So I, uh, I just stayed for the summer and, worked at another restaurant called La Colombe, um, which was an awesome experience. I, I, I got to become really close with the chef owner there. Uh, that was like a tiny, it was me and him on the line and it was probably a 40 seat restaurant. And, um, that was also a prefix, which, which helps. So, you know, like the rhythm is, is a lot easier for prefix. Um, but that was awesome. He like specialized in a lot of game meets uh, a lot of French technique at both those places. Yeah, Brunois was. Yeah, Brunois was a little more modern. Mm-hmm. La Colombe is very like traditional. You okay. get your like meat and like a. He was serving like a celeriac potato puree, uh, and like haricot vert. You know. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was awesome. Montreal is great. I always tell people to go to Montreal. Yeah, for people who haven't been to Montreal, it's obviously it's a very cosmopolitan city. Mm-hmm. It has a huge amount of blending culture, uh, a rich diversity of, yeah. of food. Uh, it also has a, a huge amount of French speakers mm-hmm. as well. Uh, was that a bit of a culture shock at all to you to go up there? For sure. I, I took French in school um, and was horrible at it. But when I got to Montreal, I lived in... Both of the restaurants I worked in were in, like, the French area. Uh, So that's where I lived. And, like, going to the grocery store, everything was in French. And, like, the people who worked there spoke French. And it was, like, no English. So uh, I found myself actually picking it up 
just like remembering a lot of stuff in school. It was it was pretty sweet. So our lives here align a little bit. We we both worked at Mile End. Yeah. Uh, you obviously spent time in Montreal. Uh, for those of you listening that don't know, there is an area of Montreal called Mile End. Uh, it is. There, there is the Jewish area. Well, it, it was the Jewish area. Now I think it's kind of like the Williamsburg, I guess, maybe sure. a little bit. Yeah. Um, and um, when you came back, you worked at Moss Farmhouse, but I actually want to kind of jump forward to, to Mile End sure. because you were basically like the opening guy there that- for all intensive purposes, right? You went the first week yeah. to eat, and then what happened? Uh, I went the first week to eat. Uh, I was super psyched about it opening. Like it had just, just opened. Yeah, just yeah. opened. Uh, I went in, it was jammed. I mean, it's like 18 seats, right? It was yeah. jammed. Um, you know, I got my seat at the end of the counter and I was looking around. And I, at that point, Noah had opened it. Noah and Ray had opened it with like their college friends and like his bandmates, you know? And I was looking around and like, um, whatever, not, <laughs> not to talk shit, but like they were just kind of like, a lot of people were just like standing around, you know, cause they, they really have no restaurant experience. Um, but that was like very charming about, you know, about the space and, um, everyone was just like so fucking hip and like, it was awesome. And, uh, I was like, are you hiring by any chance? You know, Noah was like slicing meat. I was sitting right in front of him and I was like, is there any chance you guys are like looking for help? Uh, cause I think I can help, you know? And he was like, well, maybe he was like come back with like a resume or something and i I, you know i took the g home and like went right back with my resume uh and i was like please please let me do this (laughs) because like i love montreal i I love this place and um you know i think i think i can help you know maybe put some systems in the place it's so awesome that you came there because it seems like you were you know you had the restaurant background which uh noah had had not worked in a restaurant previously he yeah. just had these really delicious recipes that yeah. he was cultivating and so you start on the line there and are you working with diana at that point who are michael stokes i mean i'm uh, name dropping here because he's because i used to work at mile end obviously so yeah these are all people that i worked with so who was the kind of the opening team that had a little bit of restaurant experience that you were working with there uh me mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh me it was uh me and and uh there wasn't really anyone else. There was someone who was working there who was kind of like helping consult a little bit. Uh-huh. Uh, his name was also Noah, but um, he wasn't like around very much. So I was there, and then um, I don't even remember how we got hooked up with James Merker, but uh-huh. uh, he showed up, and and he's now in charge of all Russ, Russ and daughters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but James was awesome, and um, that was like really fun to kind of have that like camaraderie now with someone who. Uh, you know, is okay with like talking shit and like grabbing ass a little bit. Um, uh, and then I, I honestly don't remember if, if uh, Stokes or Diana got hired first, but they, they, I think they maybe started around the same time. So what's that transition like when you come into a restaurant that just explodes onto the scene? I mean, it was the, it, it was crazy. There it were, was th- crazy. There were lines around the block. Yes. People were. It, dying for this product. It was like the cronut before the cronut, it, yeah, right? It was it crazy. really, really like was. on weekends there would be people who drove from like Long Island 
to like Hoyt Street, you know, and like double parked and was like, where's the pastrami? And, and they're, they're like walking by it because it's a little <laughs> yeah. shoebox on Hoyt yeah. Street in Borum Hill. And yeah. everyone's like, where's this deli? Everyone's looking for Katz's. And it's like yeah, exactly. an old auto garage that Noah converted into this smoked yeah. meat uh, yeah. dreamland. Yeah. So, so you start there. What what does it feel like to kind of jump into a project that um, is not really established yet? Like you have your kind of you have your fingers in it, but it's obviously someone else's vision. But sort of you have the the cooking background. You bring sort of the the, the actually traditional restaurant skill set into the mix. How does that yeah, factor in? I uh, well, so at that point I was pretty young. I was I don't even remember how old I was. 23 or something. I don't know. I was pretty young. Uh, but I think at that point it was really great for me because, um, it was like kind of new. We were kind of like growing together. You know, I was, I was still growing as like a cook, uh, and a chef. And, um, it was really like, I knew I was able to kind of, uh, get people to work and not like kind of stand around and like have people wait, you know? So, um, I knew I could, I could help kind of just like, uh, get the wheels on track a little bit, you know, as far as getting the place to run a little bit more efficiently. Um, but, uh, you know, the, yeah, the recipes were all Noah's and, um, it was great. And I, I like, I really loved eating the food, you know, so it was easy to, to get into it, to sell it. Um, and people, I mean, people were obviously already excited about it on their own, you know, so, um, it was an easy sell. It's you know? cool. We had the exact same experience working in a, in a, trying to acquire a job there because I went there, had a sandwich and I looked over at my brother and said, I got to work here. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and that's great. the same thing happened it's to you. Sandwich, man. It's, uh, I think that that really speaks to the power of what uh, like a singular flavor can do to sure. people. Yeah, totally. Um, it just draws you in and then you want to know as a cook, you want to know, you want to know how to make it, but also you see the kind of direct joy that it's providing people Mm -hmm. by eating something that it's a sandwich, right? It's a simple item. Um, did you find that after working in Montreal and doing kind of high end and then coming to, it really is, you know, it's a deli, it's a sandwich shop, which is, um, definitely not high end but takes a lot of work on the back end um did did that transition inform your style at all did you draw anything from that big jump uh yeah if 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 anything yeah for sure um i was into it i mean when i was in montreal i would eat at schwartz's okay at least once a week, you know, like I had two days off and at least one of them. I Schwartz like, is the very famous yeah. <laughs> Montreal smoked meat shop. Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, I was already like, oh, smoked meat in, in, in Brooklyn. But um, yeah, I think uh, kind of seeing how, first of all, seeing how it was run with people who not even like without fine dining. I mean, to me, fine dining was like where you had to be in restaurants, you know, when I was younger, but, um, just seeing how it was run with like people who actually had no experience at all and being like, this is, do-, you know, they're doing it and people are excited and like, you don't have to have, you know, crazy chefs yelling and all this stuff. And it was, it was really like refreshing to see, uh, like a successful business, 
uh, you know, run by like a very chill uh, atmosphere, you know? Um, so that was great. After mile in, something very critical happens. You meet Chris. I meet Kristen Walker. Where do you meet uh, and sort of what is that next step that you take in your career? Uh, so after Mile End, I, I left Mile End and uh, I, I spent some time doing like a supper club. Uh, sounds kind of somehow cliche, but... Um, it's cool. You were doing supper clubs before other people were doing <laughs> supper clubs. Uh, you, in, you invented the, <laughs> the oh, yes, fad. It's yes. fine. Uh, I coined the phrase. Uh, and, um, you know, and it, it just, it kind of became my job. We were, like, selling these tickets and doing, like, blind tastings out of apartments. Um, but that got very, you know, tiring pretty quick. And so I started working at uh, Northern Spy Food Company in, in the East Village. Uh, that's where Kristen was the general manager. Um, and I was just, uh, you know, cooking on the line. And um, we met there. That was actually that was actually a really great experience, Northern Spy. Uh, that's actually no longer open now, but um, it was a. I really love that restaurant. Uh, a lot of people feel the same way. Um, really sad to see it go, but uh, that was also like uh, kind of like refined technique. But the atmosphere was very not turn and burn, but just a very casual East Village restaurant. Um, so I, I think about that experience a lot when I'm cooking. So you and Kristen start thinking about working together in some capacity, but it doesn't happen right away. You end up working with uh, Jonathan and John Wells at Fung Tu. Yeah. Uh, I had Jonathan on the program. Uh, I, I find him to be as sort of like in, intelligent, articulate, and passionate as really any chef that I've ever encountered. Yeah, he's like a very academic. Um, yeah, he his just knowledge and his ability to discuss discuss like the composite of a dish and the mindset. Um, I found very very enlightening. What was it like to work with him and also another great talent, John Wells? Pretty much just the three of you guys in the kitchen trying to get Fung to open. I would love to hear about that experience of starting really jumping in again at the beginning of another restaurant project. Yeah. What that, that was like, that was, uh, a, another great experience. Uh, you know, I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to help them open. Um, I met, uh, John Wells at Moss farmhouse. So we had known each other for a number of years and worked very closely together. We actually did a, you know, a bunch of the supper club dinners together. Um, so we we're very close friends. Um, and, uh, he met Jonathan while Jonathan was doing uh, pop-ups, I think maybe at Bowery Station. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they, you know, I guess John was like, the food is great, I want in, let's, you know, let's do this together. Uh, and so he called me and was like, you know, we're, we're opening this, this restaurant, uh, it's going to be awesome, I need you. <laughs> like, let's, uh, you know, we... we we want to rock it out, and uh, they didn't really have anyone else in mind for the kitchen, and so I was, yeah. I, I mean, it was great because I, at that time, we are we already knew we wanted to do something, Kristen and I, you know. So uh, having the opportunity to like 
go through an opening kind of emotionally and physically, uh, you know, was, was a great opportunity to do it. Did it prepare you at all for what would come with Fancy Nancy or did you? Oh yeah. Because, uh, so we signed the lease for Fancy while I was still at Fung too. So, uh, we opened it pretty, pretty soon after, uh, you know, so everything was still very fresh in my mind, you know, and I would just, while we were opening, I, I probably thought about Fung too, like, you know, 50% of my day. I was just like, look, you know, thinking back and like, okay, this is very doable. And, um, it, it was a great experience. Yeah. It's so cool that you were able to do that kind of simultaneously be part of the process of opening Fung too, and also working on fancy Nancy mm-hmm. because, uh, it seems like you were able to do a ton of cooking, but also able to sort of lean on someone who is going through that same process. Yeah. Um, and someone that you could trust as well. So, uh, so Kristen is managing Mission Cantina. You're at Fung Two, and you're yeah. working on the build out of Fancy Nancy. You've got about a million things going on. Uh, what day did you open Fancy Nancy? We opened uh, August. 22nd of last year, 2015. And, um, it was a very, we just kind of like opened the doors to the neighborhood. We didn't like make a big deal of the opening. It was just like, we'll just see who comes in. And, um, cause I, I actually had a lot of trouble getting staff to open. So, uh, we opened with, um, it was me and, uh, <laughs> uh, one of the cooks was, um, a 22-year-old who had just graduated college who had never... She was actually used to be in radio. She had never worked in a restaurant before, um, you know, but she was just interested in food. And I was like, that's all I need. Like, you're passionate about food and you have a heartbeat. Let's do this. Uh, One of the other cooks was also... I think maybe she was 24 at the time, didn't really work at restaurants either, but she was Danny Bowen's babysitter. And I was like, that's close enough. Let's do this. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And... um, so yeah, I you know I definitely did not want to get caught with my pants down. I was like, let's just quietly open this place, you know. Uh, so it was it was very smooth, and then it's definitely evolved. We opened with like six things on the menu, you know, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's come a long way in our in our first year for sure. I'm gonna read a quote from you about okay. the restaurant. <laughs> we treat the restaurant as an extension of our home. When you walk through the door, you aren't greeted by a traditional restaurant experience. What I always tell our team is to imagine a house party. Chris and I throw a party every single night. So that resonates with me incredibly hard as someone who opened up a restaurant a week ago and yeah. has been looking forward to that dream for a really long time. Nice. Congratulations, by the Thank way. Thank you very really much. Awesome. Um, I, I think partly why I love Fancy Nancy so much is for what you've just articulated in that quote. It, it feels like cheers with food and cocktails, yeah, nice. you know? Like, it is, in fact, a neighborhood spot. Yeah. Um, it feels so often when you go out to restaurants these days that people are trying to create a neighborhood spot, mm-hmm. but you can just smell it from a mile <laughs> away that it just doesn't, it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. How did you create, how did you, how did you pull it off? How did you create the vibe and, um, and how do you continue to cultivate that as you expand the menu? Uh, I mean, the vibe, well, the vibe, I have, you know, we got to give, give credit to Kristen. She is a lot of, of the restaurant, you know, and a lot of the experience is really her. Um, but we, we, we live in the neighborhood, you know, so we, um, 
we knew we wanted to open something not necessarily in that neighborhood, but it just kind of clicked. You know, one day we were like, I'm just so sick of like ordering the same things on Seamless and like going to these places that don't really have that many options. I want to eat some vegetables or something. And we were like, let's just do it here, you know? And, and so we started looking around for spaces, you know, in the neighborhood. But um, it's, I, people always know when you're not being real, you know? And so if, if you're trying to, it, it's almost like they want to open a neighborhood restaurant, but it's like at a neighborhood themed restaurant. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, and a lot it's of like, that, what are the is, 10 pieces you yeah, need to yeah. make a neighborhood restaurant? Let's get them all yeah. crammed into this room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Um, but it's, it's, it's really, I mean, it's just about being honest to that, um, attitude. Like I really hate when you go to restaurants and the server has like a server voice, you know, cause it's like, very it's like i know you're gonna clock out and you're gonna like hit up your friends and that's not how you're gonna talk to your friends like just talk to me like a real real person you know because um yeah so you know that's you know we always remind our staff of that and um the staff is really great you know so that's you know a lot of it is, is up to them but um yeah, I don't know. I, w- I want to also ask you about specifically Bed-Stuy, which is a rapidly changing neighborhood in Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, new businesses are opening up all the time. You live there. Yeah. I live there. You opened up a year ago. I moved to Bed-Stuy about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, as Bed-Stuy changes, and uh, people that have lived there for a long time have been often critical of the changing demographics, um, you do live there, and you do have a business there. You are as much a part of that community now. Uh, how do you see Fancy Nancy fitting into that, and uh, how do you see bed sort of changing over the next couple of years? Oh, uh, well, I mean, we've, I think we fit in simply because we are genuinely a neighborhood restaurant. You know, um, everything on our menu is under $20, which... If you're a neighborhood restaurant and you expect people to eat there often, like it's kind of fucked up to you know to like serve a you know thirty six dollar chicken or whatever. But um, uh, you know, and we we want people to come back, and uh, the neighborhood's been great. You know, we probably recognize like eighty percent of the faces that walk through the door. You know, which is we're very lucky and um, very grateful for the you know for the neighborhood. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of people are moving in. Um, and well, how's the neighborhood going to change? Well, I mean, there's, there's definitely room for more, uh, restaurants and cafes and stuff to open. Uh, so, you know, that's really great for the neighborhood. There's, uh, I mean, there's, you know, restaurants, cafes opening up now, which is like awesome to see because as much as we have a business there, we also live there and want to eat more food too. You know, that's, um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I really like it. It's it's uh, very chill. And um, we'll see. I, I hope it doesn't get crazy like, you know, Williamsburg style. But it's it, yeah, it's still very chill for now. We, we have to wrap up really shortly. But I do want to ask you about one specific dish on the menu, the chicken dish. Sure. If you can just briefly explain it. I know that it has been influenced by your mom. I think it's such yeah. a wonderful representation of the restaurant. Nice. It's nice. a great chicken dish. It's a thing that you can order a lot, and of course, it is under $20 as well, <laughs> which, which I think makes it appealing to the neighborhood. Uh, what's this dish about? Uh, yeah, well, the, I mean, the restaurant is named after my mom, uh, 
And so I was like, well, I got to have a dish that's just like for mom, you know? So um, it was really just, I thought of all the things she really likes to eat. She loves, I worked at this place in Boston, uh, in Newton actually, that had like a roast chicken that she loves. So I knew it would just be like a roast chicken. That's an easy, uh, you know, that's an easy sell. And then um, she loves uh, when we eat chicken, like the the poached, like Chinatown chicken that's just like hanging there. Um, it's the condiment is like a ginger scallion sauce, um, which I also love. So uh, it's it's uh, we do brick chicken as the technique. So we debone. You get a half chicken. It's completely deboned except for like the drumstick and you know and the wing, you know the little wing drumstick, um, and uh, you know hot pan skin side down. You know, a brick on top that's wrapped in foil. <laughs> Very technical. Um, and it, it basically cooks on one side the whole way. Um, and, uh, you know, we take the chicken out to rest, and then all these kind of, like, rendered, uh, you know, fats and juices are there. And uh, instead of making a pan sauce, we make a pan, we call it a pan rice. Uh, so it's basically like a fried rice that's, you know, fried with the chicken fat that's rendered off the, the roasted chicken. So... Uh, you know, we throw some sliced garlic, there's rice and kale, and it's it's really just kale fried rice. Um, and it's, yeah, it's those three things. It's like chicken, rice, and condiment, and the neighborhood is eating it up. And, and uh, my mom comes for brunch. She'll, like, visit for brunch for the day, but I'll, like, roast her chicken, you know. Um, what did yeah. she say the first time she visited the restaurant and f- when you said, Mom, this is named after you? She, oh, well, she, I mean, she loves it, obviously, but um, she was like, how do you get the rice so, so good? <laughs> and I was <laughs> like, yes, you know, victory. Uh, that's all I need to hear. Uh, we can just close now. Uh, <laughs> My mom finally yeah, approves of yeah. me. <laughs> I've made uh, it. Yeah, but uh, it was great. I, I love cooking that dish and, and um, you know, it's great. It's a really fun dish. And if you come to the restaurant, I definitely recommend the chicken. Jay, congratulations on year one. Thank you. Thank you for being on the line. Thanks for having me. Heritage Radio listeners, thank you for joining us. Join us every week, Tuesday at 11 a.m. here on Heritage Radio. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.